0: There he is. Doug, how you doing, buddy? I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, it's been a while. What, did we stop filming like a month ago? A month ago. So going from the family of Forge to our own families, finally. Yeah, what have you been up to? Uh, Well, spending time at home, doing stuff. Did a couple of commercials here and some projects going back to Kali, going back to who I was before Forge. But the most important thing, spending time with the family. How's your family?
1: Oh, it's great, man. Honestly, I, I love the time when we're not filming. Although it's kinda of mm-hmm. stressful not having having a job, you know, between uh-huh. seasons.
0: Being a dad is a job. It's the best job. How's Nash doing? It's getting he's getting bigger than you. He's, he's a big boy. Massive. I taught him to drive the other day. He's got this <laughs> little power wheel thing.
1: He's not even he's not even three years old yet. He's got this power wheel and I couldn't figure out how to get him to learn how to drive it. I don't know if he's supposed to be able to do that yet. <laughs> but I figured out the key. It's tell him to hit me with it, and he is now driving like one of the Earnharts, dude. It's insane. I love it. I love it. I treasure. It. I miss those times with my own boys, man. Mm-hmm. man. You were having the fun times. That's awesome. Well, Doug, I say we just dive into it. Listeners, welcome to the first ever episode of Forging the Path. Welcome, everyone. Well, everyone, welcome to Forging the Path. I am Grady Powell. You might know me from the History Channel show Forged in Fire, and I am joined here with my
0: co-host, the one and only Doug Marcaida. Hello, everyone. I'm Doug Marcaida. You may know me from Days of Our Lives, The Hangover. I'm just kidding. Yes, I'm a judge on Forged in Fire. Oh, well, you probably saw me on my TikTok videos also. So how you doing, Grady? I'm good,
1: buddy. Now, speaking of Forged in Fire, Doug, you and I both well know we've got some huge news coming. And that's that the long-awaited 10th season is now finally upon us. So, for those of you who want to tune in, check out the History Channel on Wednesday night, October the 4th, at 9, 8 central. And this is not just any season. We've done so much more than we've ever done before. I highly recommend tuning in. This first episode is a double header, so set aside two full hours. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about this this podcast Because we get to talk to a bunch of people who basically live my life's motto, which is you get one chance to write your story, you better be writing one that's worth reading. We've got people who do not fit into a cubicle, forging their own path in their careers, in their lifestyles,
0: and finding success while doing it. What I love about this are the new guests we have, because this is all about forging our path right there. We have commonalities, not just about blade making, but it's what did you do that's unique and can you share those stories with us so that we can either learn from it or continue to use it to, far, to continue forging our own path. And along for the ride with
1: us is our executive producer, Dan McKenna. He's going to be popping in and out. I'm sure he's got a lot more interesting questions to ask these guests than we do. Dan, excited to have you part of the team.
2: Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I am definitely excited about this podcast, you know, as a producer who's traveled the country and, and and I've been to every state and I've met like all different kinds of people throughout my, my work. You just meet so many different people out there who have interesting stories. And, you know, I'm excited about having this opportunity to kind of get people to on here to tell their story and to, you know, maybe it'll inspire some others to kind of do the same thing, so.
0: Yeah, and for our listeners out there who don't know, Dan the Man is one of the producers of Fortune Fire, so we're used to uh, seeing his creative ways and the way he forged his path into
1: this show. we got a lot of really interesting guests coming on, we've already lined up quite a few, but I think it only appropriate to start this podcast off, we introduce ourselves a little bit. So Doug, what do you think about interviewing each other today? Ah, let's do that. You ready to get this thing going?
0: Absolutely so excited. Let's do this.
1: So before Fortune Fire, before Markada Kali, I want to talk about your upbringing because you're not from America. You got a pretty awesome story on, on where you came from.
0: Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I'm actually a mail order bride from the Philippines. Oh. <laughs> yeah. well, okay, so I was born and raised in the Philippines. And, um, you know, growing up over there has really, I was raised with the West. Is everything you know? So I had a Western mindset. We learned to speak English over there. All the TV shows were in English and everything, and then the American TV shows. So the the great, well, you know, as a matter of fact, a lot of people don't know Douglas, my name, my namesake is from my father, who was a Douglas MacArthur senior. I am the second, but he was named after the great General Douglas MacArthur. Because of his promise, you know, when he was there in World War II, he was well, he was beloved among all the Filipino people. So that uh, my grandmother um, named her son, my father, Douglas for that. So, yeah, um, I was born and raised in the Philippines and I migrated to the U.S. when I was uh, 18. So you you
1: were telling me that your mom took a massive leap and she came over here without you guys,
0: Correct. Yeah. So here's, okay, so now it's getting a little bit serious, right? <laughs> um, a very common tale of immigrants are of people who leave their country to take a leap of faith because another country is going to be, have better future for their children. My mother um, left five children in the Philippines to, to seek better opportunities in this country, in the U.S. Um, she came in with a tourist visa and was illegal in this country for quite some years. Many times she wanted to come back home. I mean, well, mother to leave their kids. We knew her through letters and phone calls, which was very hard. But I remember always my grandmother saying, stay there. Think about your children. Think about your children. You know, so she saw, she really uh, fought, had to stay here for about five years before she found a way to be legal in this country. And when she finally was legal, then she sent for us. And that's how we were able to go to the U.S. But that was five years of of not seeing, you know, not seeing her children. Imagine, because we are parents. Can you imagine not seeing your boys grow up? Can you, you know, I, I can't even think about that, the pain alone of that thought. But when you take a leap of faith, when you, when you want to forge a path that has a better future for those that you love, it's a sacrifice. Nothing's ever easy. Yeah. All right. So
1: you came to the States, you're 18 years old. What did you do when you got here? What was your first
0: your first job? All right, exactly. So um, I never had a job prior to coming over here. Well, so I said, okay, my first job. I was excited. So I was a busboy for for a restaurant, and then when I was doing that, I realized, wow, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this uh, to, to to earn a living here. So I actually became a salesman uh, for uh, Radio Shack. Yep, okay. electronics that I had no idea what to sell, but I had the gift of gab. Thank you for really? Great Club. <laughs>
1: Rest in peace, Radio Shack.
0: (laughs) I know. I have good memories of that. But here's here's the fun part when I was interviewing for the job because I never had a job in my life. So, um, you know, the guy interviewed me, he goes, well, okay, um, you can talk, but you don't know anything about electronics. So he shows me a pen. He goes, he throws me a pen, Show me, sell me this pen. Well, you know, this pen, um, well, you can write with it. And they say the pen is mightier than the sword. So you can use it as a weapon to attack someone, to self-defense, and you know, automatically I go there. And the guy would just stand there. and go, oh, okay, well, okay, let's, let's, let's put that down. Uh, sell me this, this rubber band, 6 so rubber band. Oh, well, it's flexible, it's valuable, but if you do it this way, you can actually shoot somebody with it or take paper clips and also everything turn into an attack and everything else. So at least I, yeah, I, I had to cater. You. Yeah, you know, at least we know Radio Shack is going to be safe. <laughs> but, Fair enough Yeah, I stayed, I stayed in, in uh, the U.S. for about a year But in that year, there was a lot of things that happened Because there was so much culture shock All of a sudden, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm different I'm an immigrant And then I learned, you know, the face of racism I never faced that before in my country, in the Philippines So all of a sudden, I felt that, you know am I, Do I have the right to stay here? So to answer that, I joined the military so that no one could ever question my right to be in this country. I'm going to serve this country. I'm going to earn my right to be here, and I did. I stayed in for eight years in the Air Force. You know, mm-hmm. um, I got—I I never in my life thought I would ever be in the military at all, ever. Even though my father went to a, a military school, and in my teens I was in the ROTC program uh, in my high school. We had like a all-boy Catholic. Our ROTC military school. In growing up in the Philippines, we marched to our classrooms. We did Saturdays in the morning marching and all these things. So, I told myself I would never be in a military ever. My gosh! Look at the way they live. Look at all their orders, man. There's no freedom. And then I
1: at that point, at that point in your life, it was kind of thrust upon you, like it was forced on you to do it, and it wasn't your decision. But when you came to the states, it became. a point of pride, like I'm going to show these people that I deserve oh, to be here by yeah. doing, giving potentially the ultimate sacrifice by signing signing the dotted
0: line. you know that it is, but it also it's I feel I benefited the most by joining the military. Being mm-hmm. in the military gives you a chance to be pulled away from everything, give you a new identity, a job, everything. And you also have and realize the world doesn't exist just the way it is right here. The world is bigger than that, Mm -hmm. and to have that opportunity. So I wish this for everyone. And plus, you know, everything was taken care of. It's funny. Talk about um, this coming from a third-world country. I was in, in basic training, right? They were feeding us free food. I got a bunk bed. Great. You know what? They're giving us clothes. You know, at the end of basic, everybody was throwing away their, their, their irons, you know, and their sneakers. Like, that's brand new. You're brand new. So I was like putting them in my sack. You know, my, my, my backpack. You having other, other people's like, sneakers? Shoes and everything. Because you see, I could send them home and they could use it. Wow, That's just the whole about like thing. That. Nobody appreciates what they have when it's given to you. But when you have nothing, everything is gold. So having that experience was eye opening for me. That I'm like, wow, and that's what I loved about Billy Mitter because they're not going to give it to you. You're going to earn your stripes. You're going to earn everything that you do. Just to kind of quickly touch on
2: what you were just saying, as far as like you have to earn, you know, your 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 spot and everything. I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? That's what Mm -hmm. that's what all these guests have done uh, when we when they come on our podcast is they are earning their place. They they're forging their own path. They're you know,
0: it takes work to do it yep and what was your job in the in the air force ah so here's a here's a tidbit for people joining the military right never go general (laughs) because you're a recruiter i wanted to get back in the medical field i was gonna i was in that field already trying the philippines so i said let me go in sign up for that but i was here to go in and he goes well right now there are no openings in the medical field so why don't you just go general and while you're in we'll get you that medical job all right i just did So I signed up and what I was was in basic tray rigs was because next thing you know, yeah, here's your uh, medical field. You're going to be doing logistics. Oh, logistics. That sounds so scientific. What is that? Base supply. (laughs) So I was stuck with that. But you know what? I made the most of it. I got good at it. I loved it. I loved the people. I loved where I was. I was having fun. And then after three years, you get to cross train. And that's what I did. I cross trained back into the medical field where I became a respiratory therapist and through the military there's a crazy juxtaposition before <laughs> like you were the regular shack mercenary
1: and you wanted to get into the, into the medical field to heal people so uh, yeah
0: now where does Kali come into play in your life ah so all my life uh, and i've i mentioned this you know i'm not proud of it but i'm i'm proud of the fact that i've changed um I, I lived i lived a very troubled life so when i was growing up over there i got into a lot of fights because i obviously did not handle very well my parents breaking up I, I had a very big... I was an angry child. Always get... I got kicked out in so many schools. So uh, when I got into my adult stage in uh, high school, my dad goes, look, you get into too many fights. You've been kicked out so many places. You better start learning some martial arts because people don't fight with their hands in high school anymore. We start using... You know, weapons, knives, and shivs and everything else. You know, blows so my mind. Yeah. You know, you go to school, oh my gosh, how the stories I've had. That there's a reason why I had a fear of blades. I've been accosted and involved in blade uh, and edge weapon uh, assaults where I was. And victim. that's a whole lot so, scarier
1: than what I dealt with. I was firearms, right? And I would mm-hmm. much rather get
0: shot than stabbed. Any deal well, Everybody knows what a paper cup is. Or a paper cup, yeah. Right? But yeah, um... I started taking regular martial arts. But of course, once again, I talk about this. There's a term called colonial mentality. Colonial mentality is where pretty much the people of that country have been brainwashed at everything else that the colonials are much better. They try to erase your identity as a people. So that's what happened to me. I thought everything in the West was great. So I took taekwondo, kickboxing, judo, karate, every other art that wasn't Filipino. Because I thought weapons fighting, just criminal activity. But anyways, when I joined the U.S. Air Force, we had like our mini... Uh I guess, early days of MMA over there where a bunch of guys who just wanted to go back to martial arts were just sparring and doing stuff. So in, in our sparring class, this guy was just throwing me left and right. So it's like, wow, you know, what are you doing? Aikido, Aikido, Jiu-Jitsu, what, what's that stuff? And the guy goes, Kali. I go, ooh, Kali, never heard of that. He goes, it's Filipino. I'm like, wait, I'm Filipino. What are you talking about? It's Filipino martial arts. It's here in the U.S. or in the West. It's called Kali. In the Philippines, Arnis and a Oh, I know Arnis and a And then a light bulb just clicked in. Now, it was interesting was when I started wanting to learn from this guy, he would show me stuff. But the minute he pulled out that, that he pulled out a butterfly knife, it scared me. Then he goes, come here, come here. Why are you scared? Well, all these memories of all these things that happened before. But then he goes, yeah, but you're in control. Learn about it. And as soon as I picked it up and I started learning, the fear started. Now I'm in control. I'm mastering my fear. And I just got addicted to it. And so to answer your question, Kali was always there once I started it. I never left it. And when I got, it, I got out of, my, uh, of the military, I pursued it. I, I traveled the world to learn different versions from different masters. Um, I started to teach it in my own home. Uh, I started to run a school with a group of guys. It was my passion. It was the one thing that I could say was always there for me. So having that as my core, as my go-to thing to where I could just forget about everything else in the world. It's the one time I know what I'm doing and I feel happy and 100% sure of what's going on. That was it for me. So from what I understand, you fell into Kali and you f- immediately fell
1: in love with it. It became your passion. But at that point in time, you're still a respiratory therapist.
0: So when, when did it turn into a career path? Um, Well, for one thing, martial arts is so hard to do as a living. So it was strictly for me, and I was teaching it strictly for the guys that were interested in it. And a lot of my students were already instructors in their professions. Like, I had a lot of police officers. So they were already defensive tactics instructors. So they said, we need to bring this into our academy. And so I followed their lead. I had gentlemen who were in the military. Who says, we need some combatives, so why don't you, you know, learn more about it and we'll bring this to the military. So while I was still teaching and learning my art, they were able to bring me into their world to create programs taking from this art to make it work for them. When was your first paid gig as a Kali instructor? Uh, I'd say, um, yeah, one of my students, uh, had already a martial arts school in Buffalo, New York, you know? And, um, so he was my student. He'd come train with me and then go back. Then one day he goes, you know what? Um, why don't you come train my students? So I went in there and I taught and yeah, I liked the feeling of getting paid for what I was doing. I didn't expect that. My first seminar, I remember too, but then we just got out, you know, people start asking you to show up because one of the things that I did in the early days of YouTube, I celebrated my videos. I recorded all my training stuff, and I just threw it out there. I'm a visual person, so one of the things that keeps me inspired is to watch what I do because I record myself training all my classes, then I put music to it. That's how Fortune Fire found me, was through my videos on YouTube. Yep. Um, It was a big, big decision to make because I had to leave my hospital job, which was, you know, Important to me because it paid the bills and I love my job in the respiratory field, you know, but this was doing my number one passion, Kali, I get to do this for a living. Well, there's
1: some other, some other reasons, not reasons, but other elements to that story that that you've
0: brushed on before about, it was a bit of a trial and tribulation time for you, right? Yes. The trials and tribulations we're talking about is man, imagine, you know, it's a big leap of faith and that's what we're talking about here, Right um, you there's no guarantee that what you're going to jump into is going to be successful, but there is a guarantee that what I'm going to jump into is my passion win or lose. I'm doing something that I love. And that's the point, you know, now, if I fail monetarily, if I fail financially to meet my obligations, I will learn to what we do in the show, adapt, improvise, overcome, but I am already doing something that I love with the support of my family. And that is, I think, the biggest part of what makes taking a leap of faith successful. All right, so now now we're in the Forge of Fire World. They found
1: you on a YouTube video. Do you remember exactly what YouTube video they found? Or did they ever tell you? Oh, wait,
0: I was singing a karaoke song, and they love my voice. <laughs> <laughs> it was It was just a compilation of dad jokes. Yeah, <laughs> No,
1: I think that's going to be a massive element of this podcast is us talking to people who despite the odds, they, they take the risk and they go do what is necessary to accomplish the goal that they have. We're going to find a ton of, um, entrepreneurs, uh, um, maybe they're athletes, maybe they're artists, whatever they are, they're breaking the, the mold. You know, they could be sitting, they could be sitting at a, in a cubicle punching numbers for
0: somebody else, but that's, That's not who we're going to be talking to. I think the only sacrifice you ever look at that is that we can't be in two places at once. So the time I spent learning martial arts, I'm away from my family. That's why when people go, you know, what's it worth to do what you're doing? What's your time worth? What is your time worth? You know, we talk about a lot of our blade makers on Fortune Fire and selling their works of art and everything that they put their soul into. And they go, why so expensive? I go, do you know how many hours he's been making that blade? And do you know all that time that he's in the shop doing all that, he's not there holding his son or going to their football games or doing these other things that he had to sacrifice to do that? So that is what why it's worth so much. That's why I always say there is your... Blood, sweat, and tears, and your soul goes into that thing that you're doing. Whether it's making a blade, doing sports, going hunting, doing anything that you put your passion into. Yeah, then I think I heard you popping in.
2: You know, I was just going to ask Doug, like, what, what, did, what do you, how can you can you describe
0: what you get out of uh, kali? Kali, bring, you know, it brings me a sense of peace when I'm able to move. Like, okay, I'm an angry kid, right? <laughs> I was always an angry person. The use of violence and being able to control it really helps. When I'm out there moving my weapons and I'm seeing what I'm cutting down, I'm seeing all these things, all that violent motion comes out of me. So it's about, martial arts is still about fighting other people, it's about fighting yourself. So the hidden demons that I have, that angry guy inside me, that person, that beast that wants to come out, I let him out, but I control him. And when I'm done and he got his job out, he got his anger, he got all the movements out of the way, he's calm. Then I can come back. So that's why you say it's very peaceful. This chaotic training that we're doing brings me peace. Why? Because that that beast within me is being fed, but I control him. He's not allowed to be crazy. He's not allowed to do it without my control. Well, there's a there's a quote I heard recently
1: recently that uh, that resonated. It said something along the lines of "There's nothing noble about a weak man being uh being a what a fucking." Botch and really bad. There's nothing noble about a weak man being passive. It's the it's the man who's capable of violence but doing mm. nothing with it.
0: Yes, by uh, Jordan, um, Jordan Jordan Peterson. Peterson. Yeah, yes. So yeah, Arnold yes. no, Jordan. Sorry, Jordan. Yeah, he he. that's perfect right there. His meaning is that you should always have the potential to do it that is always there. It's like walk. I walk around with a big stick, right? Never want to use my big stick, but uh, I have a big stick. That doesn't sound right. No. That doesn't sound right, <laughs> but you know. Oh, okay. So going back to what you asked Dan, um, when I train uh, my Kali, I am at peace. It's like I try to meditate. I can't meditate. I can't sit there because I've got ADHD. I've got OCD. But when I'm moving... I'm free. I feel alive when I train. And that's one of the things, you know, uh, there anything, everything could be going wrong around me. But when I train chaotically, I am actually in control and I am free. I mean, it's it's exactly what, you know, all
2: the bladesmiths say about bladesmithing, right? I mean, that's why it's a form of meditation or a form of uh, like therapy for them is because they're able to kind of just focus on this thing, build it with their bare hands and yeah. So. I don't think that's why we see so many
1: so many veterans in the in the uh, blade smithing world. They're they're doing a violent action with heat and with fire and building something beautiful. Like it's it's pretty cool as a uh, as a therapeutic art form.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: Of children and big sticks. Really?
0: Sounds right. Okay. Thinking of children and big sticks. Get over here, whack. Child services what? is coming to your house.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we talked about children at Big Sticks earlier, but anyway, uh-huh. yeah. But why? That's
1: why do so- children at Big Sticks make you think of me? <laughs> <laughs> this
2: was, is a problem. <laughs> that was well. Speaking of veterans, and uh, that's better, Dan thanks Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's let's turn it over to Grady. Let's ask Grady some questions,
0: Doug. Now I'm drinking whiskey. Let's get weird, Joking. All right. So speaking of people that have forged their own path, what about you, Grady? How did you forge Wait. your path? <laughs> uh, where do you want to start? we
2: were the youngest Green Beret in history. I was, I was not. I, was, I, was, I said, No all Right. So that's a common
1: misconception. Well, uh, a misnomer. I don't know what the word for it is. Um, all right. So my background, uh, I didn't grow up in the Philippines. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Still here. Uh, a lot easier life than it sounds like you had, Doug. But uh, I was always trying to be different. I too have ADD ADHD I'm, I'm always moving but I uh, whether it was with sports, whether it was with school, not so much with school but I always wanted to be at the high level of what I was doing. Um, but somehow throughout my life I always had a uh, like a magnetic pull towards the military and and pride of this country and And I wanted to give back, and I knew my dad was in the military, but I didn't know much about what he did. I just knew, you know, growing up, he had this this weird looking little green hat and some green clothes in his closet. Um, but in in high school, I had every plan of joining the Marines. Um, and then uh, college time came around. I've graduated high school, and I told my parents, "Hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to enlist." Right, and they kind of saw it coming, but my dad. Uh, he, he he kind of talked me out of enlisting and he said, you know, do me a favor. And like you said, Doug, don't go general. And he, he suggested I go to college, do the ROTC route to become an officer and then, and then go in with, uh, with a college degree. So, you know, I respected him and I ended up getting a full ride scholarship with the ROTC and then started that in, I believe it was 2005, um, went through, did really well with the RTC, but realized that it was not for me. I wasn't meant to be an officer. I wasn't meant to be, I don't want nothing against the officers because they're absolutely necessary, but I was not built for it. I wasn't built to ever sit behind a desk and ask anybody to do something. So uh, without telling my parents, I got really drunk one night at $1 shot Tuesdays and fell asleep in the ROTC building. I woke up when the battalion commander got in and I went into his office and let him know that I was, I was gonna drop my scholarship and enlist. So we shook hands and I left and uh, went to, went, drove back to St. Louis and went and talked to a recruiter and enlisted and then came home and told my parents. That was not, not, not so much a fun conversation, <laughs> but they, they, they appreciated what I was doing. You know, they respected my decision. As a young man and uh and then I went into the army, not the not the marines. so um I enlisted into the into the Army as an eleven x-ray, and what that means is I'm an infantry recruit, so you they could choose to put you in as a regular infantry, and they decided they wanted me to be a be a mortarman. So go to basic training, and while I was there, I got uh pulled aside by the Special Forces liaison. And they asked me if I would be willing to switch over to 18 X-ray, which means a special forces recruit. Um, I knew my father was a Green Beret and knew that was the top of the line when it comes to the army. But I told him, I said, you know, I appreciate the opportunity that, that you guys have this faith in me to 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 do something so high level. But I've been in the army for a total of like four months at this point. And I, I know what giants live in the special forces and I'm not one of them I don't deserve that that accolade and they said you know what uh you're wrong but we respect that see you later so I kept going through basic and AIT um and they came again and they asked me a second time and I basically gave them the same answer and then they came the third time and uh they said you know this is the last opportunity graduation is right around the corner we want to give you one more opportunity to to sign a line drop your ranger contract drop the the 11 charlie and and come with us to the 18 series of special forces training i said you know what um would you mind if i take 10 minutes go call my father and i'll I'll get you an answer so i called my dad i explained the situation and he says son are you fucking stupid <laughs> I said, well, well, yeah, but why do you ask And he says, this is the these are the green Berets. this is the special forces. They don't ask this of people they don't think are already of the caliber that they want. There will be time for you to earn your spot and and become who they want you to be. Um, but you're gonna have to show up with every bit of the of tenacity that you have if you if you have any hopes of of making it through. So, uh, I took that as a go ahead, yeah, so I went through the the qualification course uh became an eighteen bravo, and people have somewhere found that I was the youngest green beret in history, which is just flat false uh that's I don't know where that information came from, but I was i believe as young as you can be they can only you can only get in at twenty one and I think i was i was twenty one when when I made it through graduation and got on the team. Um, so no, Dan, I wasn't the youngest. <laughs> I wish I could say that, that'd be pretty cool. But I wasn't I,
0: I think they meant he had the mind of a five mm, <laughs> year old in the body. That makes <laughs> sense. Yeah, that I, was, I can stand yeah. behind. See? See? <laughs> I'm kidding. You know, Absolutely. So this one I'll say how proud your father must have been when he found out you were joined in the military. You know, my my son, um, who's my namesake too, uh, joined the Marines. I remember when he joined and what a shock it was because he just did it out of his own. And I remember asking him, what, what, I, the only thing I wanted to make sure, if he was didn't want to go in as an officer to go to college, because he was already in college, but decided he wanted to go in enlisted. Because he told me, I want the real military experience, that I want to be a Marine. Oh, shots fired to the Air Force. Shots <laughs> fired to the Air Force. But I was. Uh, proud I mean, of you that, did that you know? to yourself by joining the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> oh, more shots. All right, let's go bomb him. No, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it is, you know, to, to know that Russ and your family is amazing.
2: On that note, though, Grady, going back to just like your post military career, you know, I'm sure that was a big crossroads for you and trying to figure out, you know, there you go. You're, it's now your turn to figure out what you want to do moving forward. And, and what was that decision like?
1: Yeah, so it earning your right—you are talking about that a little bit—and I don't know if you guys are familiar with the term, but I've got something called imposter syndrome, where it doesn't matter how qualified I am with something, or I, you know, I could be absolute top level, I still do not see myself as worth any bit of it. I am at this point in my life, I am a host of an international television show, and I still don't get it. <laughs> and that's followed me through pretty much everything. And the only thing that's kind of uh kind of kept me going was my drive to to be high level. So when I when I got in the military, I didn't know why people liked me or why they wanted me to be a Green Beret, but I I kept fighting until I got it. So I did my time in in the Green Berets. Uh we went to Iraq, or I went to Iraq with my team. I went to Africa with my team and then the bureaucratic side of things got a little bit too much, and and my understanding of what it meant to be in the special operations just wasn't being fulfilled. Uh, so I elected to let my contract run out and and leave. And in part of out processing from the military, you have to go through whether it's your your dental, your medical, your vision, your hearing, your psychological testing, just to make sure you're you're set. So you can go join, uh, joint society again. One of the stations, if you want to call it that, that you have to go to is called ACAP, and that's Army Career Assistance Program. And basically, it's a job placement officer working for the military to help you find a a spot to transition to in the workforce. And I go sit in this guy's office. His name was Craig Smith, and I remember the Craig asked me, you know, so uh, you're 25 years old. What do you what do you want to do? And I said, you know, I'm not looking for a job right now. Uh, I actually just bought a one-way ticket to Portugal. I'm going to go backpack Europe for a while, decompress and make sure I'm, I don't become a statistic when I get back. And he's like, okay, he stamps my paper. And then we end up sitting there and talking for about two hours about everything and nothing. And uh, finally end the conversation. I leave, I go to Europe and uh, I'm having a great time. You know, I'm, living at hostels. I met a, uh, a girl and I was living in Germany with her for a little bit. And then I got a call from Craig or an email it was. And his email said, Hey Grady, it's Craig Smith from ACAP. Uh, I got a, a call from Hollywood asking for an ex-Green Beret to do this TV show. And I know it's been five months or so, but you came to mind and I, I gave your name. I hope you don't mind, but would you be interested in doing an interview with them? And I swiftly wrote back Thanks, but no thanks. The Green Berets. We call ourselves the Quiet Professionals. That's just not. That's not in the cards. And he he wrote back again and said, Grady, you told me in our two-hour, three-hour conversation, you never walk past an open door without at least looking in." He said, "You want to write your own story? Do me a favor and and just send a quick bio and some photos in." Uh, and I said, "You know what? All right, you called me on my shit. I'm a man of my word. I'll I'll do that for you." <clears throat> so. I send in the most ridiculous biography I possibly can. And I picked the most obnoxious photos I could find from my time in service. Did did, did Um, you happen to mention that you were the youngest Green Beret? (laughs) (laughs) So the picture I'm talking about is me in Africa on my birthday. I was sitting on a donkey in my body armor with underwear on, no shirt, holding a dog and an AR-15 or an M4. Uh, that's apparently what they were looking for. And I immediately get a, I got asked to, to go have an interview with, uh, Mark Burnett and Dick Wolf. For those who don't know, they're pretty, pretty big names in the television world. And, and, you know, of course with imposter syndrome, I thought it was going to go nowhere, but it, it was a free ticket home. I didn't really have any idea how I was going to get back to the state. So it worked out. So they flew me after the meeting back to St. Louis and I got a, a call pretty shortly after said, you're exactly who we want. Would you, uh, would you be willing to, to shoot for like a month or two up here in North of LA in like a couple of weeks? And I'm like,
2: fuck <laughs> it. <laughs> let's, let's go.
1: So that was my first time in television. It was uh NBC production called stars are in stripes. And the whole deal was, Ex-special operation soldiers training celebrities to do these mock military operations, and it was an absolute blast. And it was in my in my mind that was an awesome chapter for the story that I was writing. Um, but it was just going to be a chapter. And I thought, you know, cool story for the grandkids. They can watch it when I'm when I'm old and gray, which I already am. Uh, now I got to go grow up and, and get a job.
2: Okay, but but did okay well let's let's go back to this imposter syndrome thing for a second because i don't even know you about this about you no oh uh, dude okay, but, do it, you, but well, it makes I mean, sense i, I kind of i had it does make a lot of sense actually but, uh, <laughs> uh, i mean it's interesting it's like such a contradiction for for somebody like you who has the ambition and the 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 desire to be the best in what you do but then once you become the best you don't accept it it doesn't make any sense to anybody, Dan. <laughs> it's the <laughs> but, dumbest shit there. But I've heard. But <laughs> recently, was I've recently heard about the imposter syndrome, and, and it's it's a real thing, obviously, and yeah. interesting. Um, it sounds like you know a lot of your story is uh, is affected by this thing. You know, th- from the point where you know you were in uh, the army, and they they asked you to to join the Green Berets, and you were like no, and then they asked you again, and you were like no. Like I assume that's probably why you said no, right? Yeah, and th- that was well before I
1: had a, a term for it. Um, but now looking back, yeah, it makes complete sense that that was that was what was going on. Um, I think how I've I wouldn't say I've gotten over it. It's not something that I'm that I'm past. I don't think I'm the best at anything. I think I'm pretty pretty freaking terrible at most things. But it gives me it fuels my drive. If I don't think I'm good enough. I'm going to try to be better at it. And I think that's part of why I've climbed different elements of my life at, a, at the pace that I have. You know, it, it even goes to right now. I talk to my agent um, almost after every show that I've done. I think at this point, I'm one, two, three, four, five. I think I'm five or six different productions. Every time one ends, I call him up. I'm like, all right, that's it, guy. It's, it's been a lot of fun, John. But uh, I think it, you know, I think it might be time to hang on my hat. And he's like, Creed, shut up. They're you're 35 years old for somebody to be in the position that you are. This is right when I got fortune fire. He's like for somebody to be in the, at this point in their career at 35, as a host of a television show that is international is nearly unheard of. He's like, you're just getting started. Um, so I have not gotten over the imposter syndrome. It's still very, very, a, a very large character in my life, but it gives me the drive to continue pushing. Because I want to get to the top of whatever, whatever it is that I'm at.
0: You know, I, I can really identify what you're saying because in the same way, right? Who I was is not who I am anymore today because I've been on the show. I'm no longer training the way I used to train. But here's one thing that somebody told me when I started doubting, should I continue, be do- continue doing what I'm doing? He goes, don't believe the hype. Don't believe your hype. That's everybody else's opinion of you. But only you know you. So you know your gifts. Mm -hmm. Celebrate them. Well, yeah. uh, The problem there is is I don't like me and I don't think I'm good at anything. Uh, Well, that could be a problem. But that's what I do. I mean, I just go, I just be me. You know, every time I go to do a seminar, remember, one of the things about being a contractor, every time we come with knife fighting, everybody wants to challenge you. Nobody believes in what, here we go again, another knife thing. And every time we're going to be challenged to prove ourselves. And if I have to overthink that, I'm not going to be successful in what I do. I trust. It. I just default to. Well, yeah, they brought me in for a reason. There's a reason they brought you in, and that's. And you know that reason. You just do what you do, and that's what I think is one thing that a lot of us have in common. In the end, we just do what we do. We be ourselves, and that's what shines. You know, when we doubt ourselves, we want to be better. But you know, there are times when I'm like, should I continue to do? It? Am I still as sharp as I was? Because it doesn't matter. I am who I am, and I'm just going to put it out there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's there was a time where like you said I was always trying to prove it to myself. And I think that's that's that was a very large drive for me was to prove to myself that I was good enough to be an instructor or to be a green beret or to be on television whatever it was. But then I finally got a bigger purpose and Doug we touched on this before and that's family. Now I'm no longer trying to prove myself just so I can feel good about myself. I'm I'm pursuing these these goals and these dreams in the television world, not just because I love it, but because this is the, the means for my family to have a happy, healthy and fruitful life. And it just happens to be a pretty interesting story, you know, as opposed to what I could be doing. I could be, you know, there's a point where I was selling bear bags. I was,
2: that's not me. It's not my thing it just makes the fact that you're forging your own path that much more difficult right like the fact that you're, you're, you 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 had to deal with a lot of this stuff uh mentally and all the self doubt yeah overcoming yeah the self doubt and stuff and like it just i don't know i i would imagine it, it it makes the the whole idea of doing your own thing a lot more tough so i give you you know kudos for for navigating that and uh We're still working you know, on that you know, well i know but like you clearly i mean obviously just being aware of it I think is a big part, right? Like he just knowing that that exists. That was a, bi- I think that was a big turning point, and it came at just the right time.
1: Like I, I think I first heard the term imposter syndrome when I got onto my first uh, first survival show. Like I I was a Green Beret, and part of being becoming a Green Beret is going through survival school. It's called SEER, Survive, Evade, resistance, Escape. And it's basically POW training in case you end up behind enemy lines, enemy and you don't have don't have the support. When I got a call, said, hey, Grady, I wonder if you'd be able to, to do the survival show in two weeks in Alaska. And I'm like, sure, let's go. So I end up in Alaska on a survival television show for three months, which was absolutely amazing. But I'm there to be a survivalist. And I had like three weeks of survival training that was mostly POW training, like dealing with getting interrogated. So I didn't believe that I had the skill set. But being there, I did it just fine. You know, I, I succeeded very well. My my team we never went we never got hungry. We navigated the the competition extremely well. And then after that, I got asked to be on another survival show with uh, with Discovery Channel. I was on Dual Survival for two or three years, and it's just uh, knowing what I was up against was massively important. Um, you know, anytime I come against a new Uh, hurdle in life I go at it knowing you're not going to trust yourself but you are capable you are fully capable of doing whatever comes your way you've done it time and time again just put your head down try to have a little bit of of, uh, a little bit of pride of self and realization of your skill set and of who you are and you'll be okay word (laughs) word dude
0: (laughs) deep 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 conversation yeah. with well, the, know, it, the five-year-old Green Beret. <laughs> it's funny because we talk about um, having ad, ADD, ADHD, and all that. We're in good company because a lot of the people who are creators, creative minds out there, people who stand out, have all that issue.
1: Well, it's you just know? about, like you said before, adapting and overcoming. You you figure yeah. out different tools and
0: tricks to to navigate the world. Going back to that. Is that whole thing. You know, people ask me, what's the most important skill to ever have in life? And this is not just anyone who's forging their own path. It's what I always tell them. You need to have the skill to adapt, improvise, and overcome. That's it. Why? Because life is a constant change, no matter what you do. If you learn how to do it in a positive way, a constructive way, you're going to be successful. And that's where I think it relates to the imposter thing that you kind of wonder, am I imposter because I'm adapting? That's not really me but I'm going to adapt to make it work. I'm going to improvise even though it's not me. Yeah, but there's a point where it does, yeah, I I
1: totally get that and it makes sense, but I think there is a point where it's, I don't want to say fake it till you make it, but Mozart was not a classical musician at birth. He faked it until he made it. I still have issues with the imposter syndrome when I had my son Nash, Uh, there were nights when Meg would catch me crying, like terrified that I was going to be a terrible father. And she, she was like, you're not going to be that way. You are a good human being. You are a great husband. You're going to, you're going to be okay. And I just day in and day out would, would do what I knew or at least what I thought was best for him. And I know that I'm a good father, but there was a point there where I had to consciously, I I had to I had to learn it, you know. I wasn't a father until I was. Like Mozart wasn't a musician
0: until he was. You know, it's, it's I, an old I JD think, thing, I know, on the job thing. Being a parent, they don't come with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where to put the batteries on my baby? How many times can I allow to? How many well can I drop this guy? So many more times. <laughs> how many more he <laughs> Yeah. How
1: How long's the warranty for? What's the warranty for this? I just think with. Uh, With my path, it's been a constant struggle with myself. Um, And I I don't think it's ever going to go away where I just have to to know that I am capable and I'm going to be dealing with the imposter syndrome no matter what part of my life I'm in. But just knowing that that's
0: there, that's makes it a lot easier. But it's also one of the things that I am now responsible for. I've been given a gift. I've been given a blessing. What am I going to do with it? That's where my new challenge is. My brother asked me this question. All right, so what are you going to do when you meet your creator? Are you going to do a kali demo? Are you going to do a chop-up pig, chop-up dummies in front of our creator when he asks you, what have you done with, the, with your gifts? What's <laughs> so funny about it? <laughs> I'm just
2: picturing you up at a brilliant kid with a fucking hairy turn. Like,
0: hey, do you hey you I've got the skulls. these skulls. <laughs> these skulls will talk for me, right? No, but that's the whole thing. We're, yeah, I'm, I'm blessed to be, you know, with, with people like us, once we forge our path, what do you do when you get there? And then the next step now is that we have to share it. And that's, I think, where I am in my life with my things I've accomplished. Now I'm trying to hone these things, and now it's time for me to share it so others can shine, so others can benefit from it. That's why we have these podcasts. I love the idea of this. We're now trying to leave behind what got us to where we are. We're trying to share that with people, and that's the most important thing. I think it becomes the end game. Once you've had your time in the sun, it's time for others to shine and enjoy it too. And what I love about this, with with the podcast format,
1: we're about to be uh, normalizing taking the risk and following people's dreams, or we're at least we're going to share the stories of people who have taken that leap of faith and have. We're going to share the trials, the tribulations, the failures, and the successes, and hopefully for the younger generation, know that it is okay to go against the grain. Not everybody was built to work for somebody else. Not everybody was built to work in the corporate world. And uh, and I hope, I hope that some people uh, take that seriously and,
0: and take that leap and are very successful with it. And I think they need to understand also that this is the way the world lives now. Um, how many jobs have you had? How many, you know, it's not in the old days will will uh, stick with this job and I'm lucky enough to do it for the rest of my life. It doesn't work that way. I've worked I've worn so many hats and where I am today. And each hat in itself was a leap of faith into that career path. It just changes as you go. And once again, you just adapt, improvise, and overcome. Well that I think it's about the perfect time for us to wrap up this first ever
1: episode yeah. of Forging the Path Made. A lot a lot of fun getting to know you a little bit better and sharing yeah. share stories with you. Dan, thanks for being here with us. All right, everyone, that wraps up the first episode of our Forging the Path podcast. But just a reminder make sure to tune in to the History Channel on Wednesday night, October the 4th, for the first episode of our 10th season at 9, 8 central. If you guys want more content like this, we'll be sharing more on social media, on Instagram and TikTok at Forging the Path Podcast. Or you can go to our website, www.forgingthepath.com.
0: And don't forget, next week we're going to have more great stories. So tune in. Right? Ready? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just fall asleep on me? I'm glad <laughs> you have it. <laughs>